Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Oh, where is Marissa when we need her? Okay, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! This episode of the Can't Wait podcast presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Place your first bet of $10 with BetMGM and win $200 regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just sign up using bonus code ATHLETICNY. It took one second for us to miss Marissa as I hit go live and forgot to roll the open. Oh, it's going to be a long 45 minutes or so, Connor. Uh, But we are are without Marissa Morris today. Yeah, it's and and not only that, it was it was uh, sitting here in the waiting room and and you being like, I can't hear you, I can't hear. I was like, I think it's because I'm not in there. I mean, I see I'm all grayed out. I don't know what's going on here. So yeah, we're we're gonna be, we are absolutely gonna be missing Marissa as she takes her uh, m- much much uh, what's the word I'm looking for, much earned honeymoon with uh, with Michael and it was a gorgeous wedding. All right, so here's how I was gonna open the show if everything had run smoothly. I was gonna say the NFL offseason rolling on at the Combine in Indianapolis. Connor was there. He is back with reaction to Joe Douglas's presser, Robert Sala's absence, and more. Thanks for joining us here on the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and no Marissa Morris. As we said, she's on her honeymoon. We were lucky enough, me and Connor, lucky enough to attend the wedding and here's a little picture of the bride, me, and Connor. That's right. Can't wait together for the third time ever. Is that right? Your wedding, yeah. briefly, because I was there for not very long. And then the golf outing last summer. And then last weekend uh, near the Jersey Shore for Marissa's great wedding. Um, everything about it was great. The, it was good times. The food was great. The venue was great. I don't know if you have a review ready to go, Connor. Yeah, it's like four point five. No, no, it was awesome. It, it was incredible. I know Marissa. We had we had a two wedding day that we had to do there because we had uh, Bree's cousin got married as well. So we had to. I remember when the the invitation from Marissa's came in. You know, obviously talking to Marissa throughout the whole process. I was so ridiculously excited, and Bree was ridiculously excited. And then we get the other one. We're like, oh my god, we've got two weddings. What do we do? So we were able to make it work. Like we did the uh, the ceremony and half of the cocktail hour for Bree's cousin. And then we got in the car and, and drove to Marissa's wedding. We were able to make it there for her full cocktail hour. And then obviously the, uh, the, the reception and the dancing and all that stuff. And it was a blast. And I will say for all the, uh, the can't wait listeners that were obviously interested in those who followed the press box power rankings know how obsessed I am with ranking food. It was a plus. I mean, the, the cocktail hour was top tier, whether it was the, the seafood station, the the uh, Italian station. There was a sushi bar that Marissa had set up for us all, which was pretty freaking awesome. They had an entire roll of, of uh, sushi, sashimi, and then also different kinds of uh, rolls and stuff like that. There was um, pork buns, which were great. Uh, the dinner, obviously, you had the choice of chicken, beef or steak. The beef was like this uh, unbelievable beef tenderloin, which was, which was just awesome. But probably the highlight, uh, Tim, which unfortunately – you missed, but it was undeniably, and here we go, was was absolutely the, the best part of it all, 
uh, was the dessert hour. And from what I understand, my sources tell me that this was something that, that Michael Dunn put his foot down for that, that I don't think he contributed much to many things during the wedding as, as very few grooms do. But this was one that he was slamming his foot down and said, we need to make sure this happens. And it did. It was about, I can't tell you exactly how far through or how deep into the, um, the, the reception it was because obviously it was, was late enough that and, I wasn't and, there anymore because we had to get, yeah, we had to get home it was about an hour away for us. We had to get home to the baby. Yeah. Th- there was uh, enough, wine consumed where the the times started blurring together for me um however there was at one point michael and they cleared out the dance floor and they brought michael and marissa back out to the middle and they did a flambe uh thing where basically they lit all these pans on fire and there was flames and all this stuff and wild and the reason why they did it it completely worked because it distracted me from from everything that was going on obviously it was fire and and i've got a a little brain that just was like oh wow add let's go let's do this um, was that as they did that, the back wall of the, the Shadow Brook of Shrewsbury, which is where they had their wedding, they completely moved the entire wall away and it revealed a secret room. And the secret room, as Tim just put up the picture there, was nothing but desserts. There was a gelato station. There was enough pastries of that I, I couldn't even say. There was the chocolate fondue and white chocolate fondue. There was a banana foster's station. There was a... Um, Aside from a uh, banana foster station, there was also uh, waffles. What's the waffle? Belgian waffle station. There was everything. My only gripe with Marissa was that the cocktail hour was so good and the dinner was so good (laughs) that by the time we got to the dessert hour, I was sitting there going through the desserts like I want to eat so much more and I physically cannot put anything else in my stomach. It was almost like it was it was the worst. It was almost like I wanted to take like a nap break and then go back in and dive in. But uh, Marissa obviously looked gorgeous. Michael looked unreal, and and the entire wedding and venue was was beautiful. So congratulations to them, and and the uh, the wedding was surreal. And now uh, Marissa and Michael are off uh, vacationing or honeymooning in Hawaii. So it, it kept gets it keeps getting better for the uh, the newlyweds. Dan Botta threw this question into the chat. We're going to get to football right after this, but I thought this was funny because indeed Marissa did sit me with the birds with friends guys. <laughs> so it was the birds with friends guys uh, and their wives. Uh, me and Mandy, um, another producer here at The Athletic, Danielle, um, and and her guest for the wedding. And then Michael's agent. We're at one table. And then she stuck you, Connor. I was with Michael's teammates. She stuck you with the teammates, <laughs> which I thought, yeah. I thought was funny. But yeah. the tables were right next to each other. I was a good idea or not. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun, though. Like they, Both of those guys were really nice. It was funny, though, because you, you kind of... I'm always fascinated to see how like those types of uh, like people who work in the NFL, like how they they operate and how they think and and like in, in a social setting, I mean, and like how do they go about saying because a lot of these guys, I mean, they're not um, they're not like flashy, you know, so they're not like they don't want to just walk around saying like, oh, I play in the NFL. Oh, I'm on an NFL team like they kind of want to just want to be like anyone else and not want the cameras to come out and pictures to come out. So we were sitting at our table, like getting to know everyone shaking hands. And obviously, the two dudes were big, but I mean, I didn't know if they were friends of Michael's from college or high school or whatever. And so I was just kind of, you know, the typical wedding question of like, oh, you know, the bride or groom. And so the one the one guy's wife goes, oh, we we know the groom. I was like, oh, I was like, how do you how do you know Michael then? And she goes, uh, my husband works with him. <laughs> and like it took me a second because I originally like canceled. I was like, OK. And I was like, wait a minute, he plays on. He's a football player. I was like, oh, you play, too. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a reporter. I was like, I covered the NFL and the Jets. And actually, the, one of the guys who was there was on the practice squad for the Jets last year. So we were able to talk about that. But it's funny how like when they think you're a fan. Like the the walls kind of go up, and they're like, "Oh, I just kind of want to be a normal person and not be asked for autographs and pictures." And then when they find you out, you're with the media. 
the walls kind of come down. They're like, oh, he's not going to want any pictures or anything. But you would think it would be the other way around. Like, oh, is he a reporter trying to get scoops and stuff right. like that? But no, they, they were awesome. And like I said, it was a gorgeous wedding. Great people there. Uh, I, I did uh, make, make friends with some random person who I don't know when I, I rapped every single word of Eminem's Lose Yourself in the middle of the dance floor while holding wine. Which I should run that video. Of that none here, of you. Because that, yeah, that we're not going to run that video. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good video. But yeah, so it was awesome. Gorgeous venue. And like I said, congratulations to Michael and Marissa. Although if, if the beginning of this podcast is any sign, Marissa's got to uh, get her ass back here relatively quick. Yeah, really fast. All right. For those who want Jets content, the Jets content starts at Eight minutes. You can put that in the chat uh, below the YouTube stream. Uh, here we go. So you went basically uh, from the wedding to Indianapolis and the Combine um, a lot. Going on, obviously, the Combine was the Combine again, sort of. It ended up being that way, I guess. The NFL tried to push back, create this bubble environment. That didn't end up really happening. So it was the Combine, except... The Jets head coach wasn't there. Robert Sala deciding to stay back in New Jersey with the coaching staff. Some of the coaches got there eventually, but for the most part, they stayed put and did their other stuff because they had, you know, spent a week coaching at the Senior Bowl and were a little bit behind. And it seems like that was it was them. It was Sean McVay. And it was Shanahan. So the Niners, the Rams, and the Jets didn't have head coaches represented. Joe Douglas spoke on Wednesday, as did Sala, via the wonders of technology and Zoom. So, Connor, let's start. I think it's kind of been beaten up by now. But let's start with the Sala situation, the fact that he didn't go to me. It really really doesn't matter. And it seems like one of those things that if your football team's good— and your coach says, I'm not going to go to the combine because we're going to do other stuff. You go, oh, all right. But if your team is the Jets and has suffered for all these years and your coach is one of three, the other two being two of the final four teams playing, says I'm not going, then you say, okay, you know, what's wrong here? Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it, it, it was funny. That, that was that – was, I'm not going to lie. That was – it, I mean, everyone who's down there in Indy knows knows who I cover. You know what I mean? And enough of the sources that I have all know who I cover. So uh, when I would go out and I went out to breakfast and dinner and got drinks with a handful of the people that I know throughout the league, and and there was, I'm not denying, from other teams, like the jabs that were thrown, like, oh, what? Coach is too good for the combine? Oh, what? Coach is too Oh, there's no need for coach to be. Oh, I guess, I guess the Jets have the draft figured out, huh? I mean, those were kind of like the little jabs that were thrown, which is, look, you understand it. You get it because – Sean McVay isn't here because he doesn't have a lot of draft picks. They haven't gone, but this is also a team that is almost every single year in the playoffs and coming off the Super Bowl. The Rams and just skip the draft to- now. They don't even bother. They, they've they traded yeah, yeah, all right? their picks for the next five years. Yeah, and then with uh, with um, Shanahan, he obviously, you know, he's a, another guy who's coming off a, an appearance in the NFC Championship game, and aside from the appearance in the NFC Championship game, Mike McDaniel leaving and, and so many of these other things have left a lot of a lot of holes in his coaching staff where he's filling out his coaching staff right now, which he needs to do aside from going down to the NFL combine. So you had Super Bowl champion valid excuse, 49ers valid excuse, then the four and 13 Jets. And you're like, you know, which which of these things does not belong? But it takes some serious Kiones to to basically say f public opinion who cares what other people say about us who cares what other people think we believe we're going to get more done being here and and that's the fact the jets don't give two shits what other teams in the league think they don't care if they're going to throw jokes and jabs at the jets about saying like oh why aren't they here they have it figured out they don't care i mean they believe that they're right and they're hell-bent in their belief that they're right and in the 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 actuality of this whole thing public perception was really the only negative of the jets not coming right because the jets 
the NFL Combine, there's two meaningful and valuable aspects of the NFL Combine. Number one is the fact that your medical team has a chance to evaluate and assess and, and look over every single one of these prospects. So if you're worried about how a player might have returned from an ACL, if you're worried about the structure of this person's this or this, the makeup of this person's that, you are able to really get a hands-on look at these prospects with your own medical team. I mean, that's massive. The other benefit at all is the interview process, that you can sit down and interview all of these guys. The on-field workouts, the 40-yard dash, the vertical, the value of them – or the value of that is minor. It really is, especially in today's day and age where half of these college kids play their games with GPS chips in their shoulder pads, which tell you exactly how fast they run, exactly how high they jump. And the actual film will tell you more than them moving around cones and things like that. But the NFL Network has managed to turn the NFL Combine into a spectacle. That's why these drills, which used to start at like 10 a.m., are now run in prime time. They've got a play-by-play -play color commentator, like 10 sideline reporters. It's become a spectacle, and the TV aspect of it is of far more value than the actual analyzation and on-field you know, breaking down of that film, which is why you saw, Tim, when this bubble was created, the coaches and, and GMs and scouts, they didn't give two shits that there was going to be a bubble. They didn't care that there was going to be no on-field workouts or on-field drills. They just wanted to be there to talk to these guys and work them through medicals. That's all they gave. That's all they cared about. Then, obviously, the TV aspect of this stepped in, and they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to do the on-field drills. We just sold a bunch on this. We make a lot of money off this. We're going to keep it. So, Sala, instead of attending there and, and you know, having the the late nights out at, at, at restaurants and stuff and all that and all those, was able to stay back in Florham Park have all of his coaches stay back in Florham Park. They were they were able to spend all of the days when normally you're out, you know, doing whatever uh, on downtown Indianapolis. They were able to sit there and evaluate all of the film of the upcoming NFL draft picks, all of the film of the upcoming free agents, all of the film of themselves to self-scout. And they believe that what they did this week with all of their own self-review, their own self-critiquing, their own analyzation, they believe that they were able to get so much more out of that while Joe Douglas and his scouting staff were down there. Robert Sala was still involved in all of the meetings that he wanted to be involved in because he tuned in virtually. Was there more value in being there in person? Sure. But the offset of being there in person, not being there in person, considering they also coached the Senior Bowl, outweighed the number, the amount of film review that they were able to do and the grinding that they were able to do. So the Jets believed that they were right. The Jets believed that they got more out of this. And, and honestly, looking at it from that perspective, you're right. They probably did. Now, in my opinion, I probably would have just gone to the combine for the reason of like not wanting to add another punchline to somebody or not having someone else to say, oh, this is the Jets thinking they know. Like I would have just gone there and not cared. But it takes a special somebody and it takes a special coaching staff to just basically say middle fingers to the air. We don't care what 31 other teams think. We believe that we're making the right move. We believe this is the best for us and, and you're going to see it eventually. So the Jets think they got more out of this week than anybody else. They think they progressed more this week than anybody else. And we'll see if that uh, that holds true. They could have done a lot of that video work in Indy too, I have to be honest. But I, I'm with And they you. did send real quick, sorry, yep. real quick, because people are going to be on my ass about this. Okay. The Jets did send three, three. positional right. coaches right. there. So three position. Ron Middleton went, Manning went for the defensive backs, and uh, White Cotton, Aaron White Cotton for the defensive line went. So so Ron Middleton's going to be on the field working out the tight ends. Manning is going to be there working out the, the defensive backs, and White Cotton's going to be there to work out the defensive line. So three of all of their positional coaches and assistant positional coaches, they were all down there. So it's not that no coaches went. Three of their coaches did go, and they just they got there late, though. Like I think mean, I saw Middleton uh, in the hallway of the JW and was bullshitting with him for a little bit. He showed up on, like, Tuesday, I think, or Wednesday he showed up. White Cotton was getting in there Friday, and I think Manning was the same thing, like right on Friday or Saturday. It's a good point about, like, the spectacle of the Combine because these guys all run their times. They get their times, but – 
a lot of guys have their pro days where they do the same stuff. And it seems like like the biggest news that came out of this from all the measurements and the stats was that Kenny Pickett has small hands, apparently. And like, that's a thing that's just <laughs> eight and a half inches instead of if you have the smallest hands in the NFL. Uh, it, it's that's such an NFL. That's such a football guy. That's my favorite football guy thing that happens. Like, there's such BS that goes around like with all and it's all of us reporters do. And it. it's like, that's what pisses me off because it's all these like sometimes reporters trying to be all football guys like first. Everyone talks about the hand size. Like, that's the first hot thing to say is everyone talks about the hand size. But then after talking about the hand size, everyone comes in to talk about how the hand size doesn't matter. Right. And that's like the most football reporter thing to do. Like that. And I I tweeted nothing about nobody's hand size. I'm going to stick to that for the rest of my life is that it's the football reporter thing to do is you tweet about the hand size and you follow up and you tweet about the hand size doesn't matter. It's so freaking dumb. Like, I just, it drives me nuts. We'll find out. We'll see how many times Kenny Pickett fumbles uh, as a rookie next season, and, and we'll see how many people reference the fact that he has small hands if he does. All right. Um, Joe Douglas spoke on Wednesday. It's a short discussion always at the Combine, and, you know, it's a lot of coach speak always, too. Uh, the one news thing that came out of it is that the Jets are going to uh, sign Quinton Williams, his fifth. They're going to pick up his fifth year option. Um, did anything that Joe Douglas stand out to say stand out to you, Connor, other than the news about Quinton yeah. Williams? And and obviously that's that's interesting news in that obviously they like Quinton Williams and they want him around for the fifth year, but they're not talking extension yet. Uh, yeah, two things. That was one. Uh, that was the only newsworthy thing that came out of this, which is normally expected. I mean, Joe Joe's not Mike McCagnan bad with with us with with his uh, media availabilities, but I mean, there, there was really no news. And and picking up the fifth year option is understandable. Not really engaging at the moment, and they're not willing to sign him to a twenty million, twenty five million dollar contract extension yet because they need to see more from him. You know, Quinton Williams, I think, has shown that he's a good player. You know, seven sacks two years ago, six sacks this year, did some of it hurt. He's a good player. Like, he's a good player. He's flashed signs of being great, but he hasn't shown he can consistently be great yet. So the Jets aren't going to give him $20 million, $25 million, $26 million annually until they see and know that he is a DeForest Buckner-level player, that he's an Aaron Donald-level player. He hasn't shown that yet. They hope that he did. But picking up the fifth-year option was, was absolutely going to happen because he's still a good player and you don't want to let him go. The other thing that came out to me or, or the other thing that was was surprising to me and came out to me uh, out of Joe Douglas is that there was a point last year that with the way the Jets season was going, I felt like they were going to be overly aggressive in free agency, that Douglas was going to get desperate and no one spends like a desperate general manager. And and the, the thing that I can point to directly is, is Dave Gettleman last year. You know, general managers suddenly – get a little nervous about the lack of wins. They feel a little pressure from ownership. They're looking for the quick fix, quick fix, quick turnaround. And with that quick fix, quick turnaround, they turn to free agency to do it. And that's where you see teams give out dumb money like the Giants did to uh, Kenny Galladay. You see them give out dumb money like the Giants did to Adoree Jackson. You see uh, general manager give out dumb money like Mike McCagnan did to C.J. Mosley or dumb money like Mike McCagnan did to Le'Veon Bell. You see a general manager get crazy, get aggressive, more aggressive than he should, and he hands out the money and, and and they sign it and all that stuff. When the Jets season was going the way that it was, I thought that was going to happen for the Jets this year, that there was going to be pressure from Woody Johnson, pressure to win eight, nine games next year, and Douglas was going to break his approach and go that route of sign, 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 just bring in the guys, make the fans happy, make the ownership happy, and yeah, it might screw us in two or three years, but we'll get a bump this year, which will help me save my job. After listening to Douglas speak at the Combine, and maybe this is because the Jets had a – 
I'm not going to say strong finish, but they finished a little bit better than at one point it looked like it was going, you know, whether it was competing against the Bucks, winning some games and, and finishing the way that they did. Not strong, but better than when I thought they were going to be like two and 15. Um, it sounds like it's going to be business as usual in free agency, which is opportunistically aggressive in those in that second wave. You know, you're not going to see him. I think of Joe Douglas. I don't think you're going to see him give. Uh, A-list money to the B-name big players just because they're big players and it'll steal headlines. It's going to be the same thing that he's been doing throughout the last couple of years. And the Jets will sign players. The Jets will add players. But it will be more Corey Davis's. It will be more um, Shaq Lawson or Carl Lawson's, I'm sorry. More Carl Lawson's, more Corey Davis's, less Le'Veon Bells, less C.J. Mosley's, less of those guys. And if you're looking for positions where I think the Jets will be aggressive in those positions that I think they're going to dive into to look towards free agency to plug those holes, I think you'll see tight end, interior offensive line, interior defensive line, and safety. Those are the areas where I think you'll see the Jets be very, very aggressive in free agency to go out there and sign and, and be very, very aggressive in free agency to go out there and get um, – for uh, for a multitude of reasons, but I don't think you'll see wide receiver be a free agent. And I'm, we'll talk about Amari Cooper in a little bit. That's a different that's a different animal in and of itself. But I don't think you'll see them give insane money to J.C. Jackson. I don't think you'll see insane money elsewhere. I think you'll see them. Those are the positions where I think you'll see them turn to free agency to fill tight end, interior offensive line, interior defensive line, and uh, safety will be the big ones. We've talked a lot about the fact that wide receivers, top flight wide receivers, are rarely available in free agency. The idea was if the Jets wanted to get one and not draft one and have to wait for the development, they'd probably have to go the trade route. And we've talked about that and Ridley and all of that stuff. But news from Adam Schefter broke it earlier today that the Cowboys expected to release Amari Cooper. Uh, he's due $20 million on March 20th. So they're expected to release him when the NFL year starts on March 16th. They are projected to be $21 million over the cap right now. So that's one big reason is to get under that cap. So suddenly you have that kind of player, Connor. So the question for you is, if you've done any digging today on it, would the Jets be interested in Amari Cooper? So I would not say they're interested yet. But I, it would be, they're going to do their homework on it. They, they are absolutely going to do their homework on it. They're going to do the same homework on it that I started doing when I saw that Amari Cooper was going to hit free agency because there is this stigma and there is this belief that Amari Cooper is is a little lazy. You know that there's some work ethic concerns. That there's some of those talks and and worries and issues that potentially he doesn't necessarily give 100% on every single play. And if you know anything about Robert Sala and if you know anything about the culture that the Jets are trying to build and create, that's not a player that they would want to go out there and get. That's not a player that they would want to go out there and add to. You know, sometimes you can have an environment and a team that you can take gambles on players with that kind of a, a background and that kind of a concern and that kind of an issue because you take gambles on them, but then your culture is so strong that it almost elevates the play of everyone around them. You know, and imagine if the Jets had like 22 C.J. Mosley's, you know, or they had a culture or an environment like the 49ers have built, or they had in a culture and environment like the Patriots have built. The Patriots can go out there and add a player like Randy Moss, who has those issues and concerns about maybe not giving 100% all the time. But once he goes into a culture in a locker room that has Tom Brady and a head coach and Bill Belichick and, and some of those other strong, strong vocal leaders that were on that defense and offense, they naturally elevate his play where he doesn't get away with some of the things that he maybe was getting away with in Oakland, where he was getting away with in Minnesota, because it's that culture and that environment that elevates. You can't get away with those things. You know it. You, you don't regress to the mean. You elevate yourselves to the mean. 
I don't believe that the Jets have a locker room yet that with that locker room, they can add players with those backgrounds and have those players just immediately elevate. I have a feeling that if they add players like that, players with those reputations, those players will regress and the Jets won't elevate them. They'll get a little bit lower. And that's just because the Jets are still in the process of building this team and and building this thing and creating this thing and elevating this thing to where eventually they want to be. Now on to Amari Cooper specifically. The that as a player, Omari Cooper is exactly what the Jets would want. He's exactly the type of player the Jets would go out there and pursue. He is a bona fide, no doubt, X receiver. He makes Corey Davis better. He makes Elijah Moore better. He makes Zach Wilson better. He makes the offensive line better. He makes the running backs better. But before the Jets pursue anything with Omari Cooper, they need to ensure and check all of those stigmas and all of those that outside noise that kind of centers around Omari Cooper about his work ethic, about his desire, about his intensity, they need to check off those boxes before they pursue. Because if they look into him and they explore into him, and they're going to, they're going to explore and look into him, and they realize those concerns are valid, they're not going to pursue him. If they look into those and they realize, no, you know what, he's a really good player who just had a down year last year because of an injury, and he's absolutely somebody that can make everyone on our team better, they'll go out there, pursue him, and they'll make a signing, and they'll make, a, they'll make, him, they'll make him in there. He's someone I would watch. He's not somebody that I would say, no doubt, bon- he's going to be a Jet. He's the perfect fit yet. I made some calls. I made some reach. I still have two text messages that I got to get back from people. The one that I heard was that from a high-ranking source is that his, le- his, quote, his level of commitment has certainly been questioned. That makes me a little bit nervous. I reached out to somebody that I know in Dallas, and what I heard from them was that, look, he's a good guy. He just has a very laid-back persona and a laid-back personality, which makes people sometimes feel he doesn't give 100% all the time or he isn't all the way on board all the time, that he is somebody that just like, you know, he's, he's just got a little bit of a laid back personality. And that's why you got to do a hundred, all of your homework and all of your research before you go out there and, and, and potentially make that kind of addition, a much kind of a signing. But if Calvin Ridley isn't available via trade, which I've started to heard some rimblings about that, that the, the deal that the Falcons were hoping to get from him to move him isn't necessarily there. So their desire, or in their opinion, it makes more sense to keep him than to trade him. I would put Amari Cooper on my list above somebody like Mike Williams in free agency. I would put him above potentially going out and trading for anybody else that's out there. And that's why I think you'll see the Jets go out there and and do their homework on it. But this right now is on the information gathering homework stage is not necessarily in the pursuit thing. Because like I said, a lot of this, when you have a player with that kind of a, of a reputation, which Amari Cooper does have, you need to, like I said, make sure that you are completely comfortable because the Jets don't right now have a locker room that is going to get the best out of a player like that. They have the locker room in their early stage of this young rebuild where a player like that will regress as opposed to progress. You also wonder how much they might have to overpay, right? Because you're he's going, he was with Dak yeah. Prescott, proven quarterback, a Pro Bowl quarterback. Now you're asking him to come to a team with a very unproven quarterback. We don't know what Zach Wilson is yet. Um, and to play for a team that won four games last year. So there might be an extra little tax worked in with that as far as free agent signings. All right. So staying in the free agent market, um, another area the Jets need help in, and there's plenty of them, obviously, but we've talked about cornerback and what's there in the draft versus free agency. So let's talk about that. That market in free agency, is that the area where the Jets go get their corner? I don't know if the guys that we've talked about in the past will be available either. Mm-hmm. So the one that's the the really hot name, and and from what I've been told, he's going to hit free agency, is, is J.C. Jackson, right? And, and we talked about him, Tim, on the show a while ago about if he, hits free, if he hits free agency. This was just very early. Is that if he hits free agency, man, he'd be a good Jets target. Man, he'd be a good Jets target. Because 
the Jets want to get a corner that, and I get ripped on this in the athletic comment section all the time, is that they want a ball hawking corner. And and what I mean by ball hawking corner is they want a corner that naturally finds himself around the football. That whether it's interceptions, whether it's forced fumbles, whether it's just it's some guys are like it. Like like there are just some players in the NFL that it is an eight that they just find themselves around the football. And and sometimes that means interceptions, sometimes that means forced fumbles, sometimes it's deflect. They just find a way that they find themselves around the football and more times than not, they come away with interceptions. Some players do it, some players don't. There's no metric for it. Some people can say it's luck, but the Jets genuinely believe that there are players out there that naturally find themselves around the football. They believe that that's what their defense is lacking, that they like Bryce Hall, they like Brandon Eccles, they like Isaiah Dunn, but they think that cornerbacking unit is really lacking that type of a player. Well, J.C. Jackson is a guy that three years ago had six interceptions, two years ago had nine interceptions, last year had eight interceptions. I mean, the guy fits that bill entirely. So you think about it, if he's going to be in free agency, he's absolutely worth it, right? Give him the contract, sign him now, bring him aboard. I made some calls on Jackson, and I talked to some people about Jackson I don't necessarily know – well, the the player fits. I don't necessarily know – and this is going to be on the story that's going to run Monday on The Athletic. I don't necessarily know if the person fits with J.C. Jackson. And I've heard some concerns, and, and they've been confirmed by other people um, that this is a guy that really needs to be ridden 24-7. Like, he responds well to very, 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 very harsh coaching. That's not necessarily Robert Sala's style. Um, I had I heard some concerns about J.C. Jackson, and this is from multiple people, that when he gets paid, and he will get paid in free agency, that they are worried that there is a chance that he gets complacent, that maybe he's not trying as hard. Maybe he's not working as hard. Maybe his performance drops. It's never going to drop to a point of, say, Tremaine Johnson, who basically like went into a complete shell, but that his motivation right now is that contract. And once he gets that contract, what's going to happen? He's going to stay motivated, or after he gets it, will he come back a little bit? There are also, and there were also, a lot of these same concerns with him and same concerns with his his uh, uh, personality and stuff coming out of Maryland. Like, like there were issues with him coming out of college and red flags and, and concerns with him coming out of college. The Jets are not necessarily, again, in a position where they can swing and miss on a player like that. And if those concerns are justified, if the motivated by money, is he going to be the same player after we pay him? Is he going to get complacent? Is he going to regress to the mean? I don't necessarily know if that's somebody that the Jets are going to want to get themselves involved with. I really don't because they're not really in a position where they can afford another Tremaine Johnson type experiment or another Tremaine Johnson like experience. And if there is a chance of that happening, I tend to think they're going to veer elsewhere for, to find that corner. They're definitely going to go out there and get a corner this offseason. They're definitely going to do it. I just don't necessarily know if it's going to be J.C. Jackson. And a couple of the names that I think work really, really well, the one, if you want to go free agency-wise, is Stephon Gilmore. And I know he's a little bit older, but to me, Gilmore is the guy that can be, for the Jets, what Richard Sherman was for Robert Sala and the San Francisco 49ers in 2018 and 2019. A veteran, a guy for people to look towards, a guy with a – I mean, his work ethic is – unmatched he is motivated by being the best possible player he can potentially be he is around the football a lot and is a ball hawking corner is not that far removed from being defensive player of the year and is still a very very good player where he would be the leader the motivator the mentor that the jets desperately want and still the type of player that the jets want you get him you add him to one side of the defense you don't have to worry about it the only thing i heard and the only issues i've heard about stefan gilmore is one will the panthers let him go and two does he want to go play for a winner if the panthers don't let him go well the jets can't sign him if he wants to go play for a winner 
the ceiling for the Jets next year, if they hit a home run this offseason, is that they're competing for the playoffs, right? Like they're they're in the playoff discussion in December. I don't know if Stephon Gilmore wants to get there. So the Jets maybe have to throw three, four, five million extra to make him say, you know, yeah, well, the money's worth coming and playing for you. But Stephon Gilmore is one that makes a lot of sense. The other one, and it was just talked about by James Bradbury or uh, by Ian Rappaport is James Bradbury, that he is somebody that I heard down. And, and this was kind of the talk going throughout Indianapolis that he could potentially be available via trade. Uh, Dan Duggan, our Giants reporter, who, who got a shout out on in the best man speech at Marissa's <laughs> wedding, uh, said it's some some extreme uh, some incredible reporting down there in Indianapolis and, and found out that, you know, one of the things that the Giants could potentially expect and could potentially be looking for for James Bradbury would be a third round pick. We talked to Joe Douglas at the end of the at the end of the regular season. He said that he's more than willing to trade draft assets for proven players. Bradbury was a Pro Bowl corner last year, had a little bit of a down year last year, still came away with four interceptions. The Jets were interested in him when he was a free agent in 2020 before uh, uh, Dave Gettleman gave him an absurd contract. If they can get him for a third-round pick, potentially a fourth-round pick, where they have two selections in the fourth round, and they get him for just what's going to be a $13 million cap hit, and he's done after the next year, I think he's a guy that makes a lot of sense. So I know J.C. Jackson's going to steal headlines. To me, that's a B-level player that's going to get A-plus money because of his name and the the red flags and the concerns that are with him. I don't think he's a Jets target. I think Stephon Gilmore, James Bradbury, the two names that I would watch for the Jets and and are the two names that I, I feel could, could really work for this team. All right, let's finish things up by talking about the draft and mainly the number four pick. Let's start at the top. We have plenty of time to talk about all these Jets picks. You had the first mock Jets draft up on The Athletic, I think, two weeks ago. Check that out using... Um, you know, not your actual picks, Connor, but you basically dissected the picks that were made. Um, But let's talk about number four and two specific players. Um, One guy who nobody thought would be there at four a month ago, even, I would say, maybe a couple of months ago, Kayvon Thibodeau, of course, from Oregon. A lot of people were saying number one at one point, but the motor is being questioned. He could very easily, in fact, now it's starting to look like he'll almost definitely be there at four for the Jets. And then the other thing, that's interesting is the guy on the going the other direction, right? Which is Kyle Hamilton, who's just kind of skyrocketing up boards, but is a safety is a game, not a game changing safety, but a safety different than most safeties, right? He can do other things. He's a special talent. He's one of the best players as far as talent goes in this draft, but he's a safety. So, you know, you're making the pick Connor. Those two guys are both there. Is it obvious for you? Is it a tough decision for the jets? What do you think? I would be so surprised if the Jets drafted Kyle Hamilton. I mean, it it would take some wild things happening with trades. It would take some wild things happening in free agency for them to even consider him. And I know people get angry and upset about this, but but Sala basically said it at, at the draft. And he and and if you read between the lines, he was saying it, and he wasn't calling Kyle Hamilton a unicorn. He was saying that in order for them to consider using a premium draft asset on a non-premium position you need to have that unicorn player, that generational player, that player that, yeah, he might be a safety. Yeah, he might be a running back. Yeah, he might be a linebacker. But this is a guy who is going to be in the Pro Bowl every single year. This is a guy who's going to be a five, six, seven-time All-Pro. This is a player that you can imagine with his talent being an All-Pro type player. Kyle Hamilton might be the best defensive player in this year's draft. He's a very, very good player. I don't know if people look at him and say, that's Ed Reed. You know, and... If you're going to go ahead and draft a player like that, safety, running back, linebacker, with a top five selection, in my opinion, you need to be a team that is so 
solid at so many other positions that it opens it up where you have the luxury of doing that. The comparison that I would make, and and, and this is one that I, when I was talking about this, because somebody told me they would be, quote, surprised if Joe Douglas drafted a safety based off of what they know of him. Um, the comparison that was made to me, and they said, you look at it this way, and it's not safety, but it's another non-premium position is running back. When the Dallas Cowboys drafted Ezekiel Elliott, they were coming, they were drafting top five, four, I believe, is where they officially selected him. They were drafting that high, not because they were a terrible team. They were drafting that high because the year before that roster was ravaged by injuries. They lost Tony Roma, they lost a number of other players, and they were basically in a position where this was a, a team that won 12 games the year before that suddenly found themselves selecting fourth the next year because they were ravaged by injuries. They, when they were turning in their draft card with Ezekiel Elliott, they already had a great receiving core. They had a great offensive line. They had the quarterback. Their defense was good. That They had the luxury of saying, okay, not a premium position, but we can draft this player here because we are solid at so many other spots. Compare that to the Giants in 2018 yeah. when they drafted Saquon Barkley, right? They didn't have an offensive line. They didn't have a defense. They didn't have a quarterback. They drafted the non-premium position, non-premium position anyway. Saquon Barkley was so unbelievable his first year or two in the league, but has never been the same since because, again, he is not the or they needed so many other positions. You can even go to when the Jets, it wasn't the draft, when they signed Le'Veon Bell. Safety, linebacker, running back, they're like the cherry on top positions. When you already have the ice cream, when you already have the syrup, when you already got the whipped cream, you can add the cherry, right? You don't put the cherry down first. You don't just eat cherries. You put the cherry on last. That's the last position. The Jets need corner. They need two safeties. They potentially need a linebacker. They need to fix the interior of the offensive line. They need a right guard. They need an offensive tackle. They need a tight end. They need a wide receiver one. All of those positions, in my opinion, take precedence over drafting a safety fourth overall. And while Joe Douglas isn't going to tell anyone what he's going to do, he's not going to tip his hand, if you look at every single draft that he has been a part of since 2000, whether it was with the Baltimore Ravens, Chicago Bears, and the Philadelphia Eagles, and then the Jets, only twice – did he draft a safety in the first round? Ed Reed, and again, he wasn't the one calling the shots, but he was a part of an organization with Ozzie Newsom and the Ravens, and everything he does is with a what would Ozzie do mindset. They drafted Ed Reed, who was 24th overall, and they drafted Matt Elam, 32nd overall. Those are the only two safeties, the only two safeties, that Joe Douglas was part of a draft that were selected by the team he was a part of. So it doesn't make sense to me why they would do it. It doesn't make sense to others who know Douglas, know Douglas better than I do of why they would do it. And when you look at the history of Joe Douglas in the NFL draft, he doesn't do the safeties. So when the time comes for this to turn in their fourth, the, the, the draft card with, with the fourth or the fourth, fourth overall pick on it, I would say it's going to be one of two positions. It's either going to be Kayvon Thibodeau or it's going to be an offensive lineman. It's going to be Icky. Who actually I heard there's a chance he goes one one. I heard there's a chance that Icky actually goes the is the first overall pick in the draft, which wouldn't be the worst thing because then the Jets are picking from Neil or Thibodeau. But I think it's either going to be Thibodeau or it's going to be Neil or it's going to be Icky at number four. I would be very very surprised, and the number of people I talked to down in Indianapolis would be very very surprised if the Jets ended up selecting Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And you think other things with Joe Douglas, right? It's Jamal Adams safety. And despite them yeah. saying they wanted to make him a jet for life and all that, if you look at the Trade actual him, yeah. what went down, they didn't want to make Jamal Adams a jet for life. They they, they shot him in that draft, by the way, too. What's that? You know, everyone goes crazy. Like, why didn't they trade? Why didn't they trade him to the Cowboys and, right. and then draft C.D. Lamb? They were shopping him that draft. They were trying to trade him that draft. No one wanted him. They just didn't want. They didn't know what the future of the salary cap was going to look like, so they didn't have an option to trade him. Otherwise, they would have traded him during the draft. So they had they made the decision to move on from Jamal a little, a little earlier than what was laid on.
Yeah, and there you go. There's a, another safety that Joe Douglas didn't think highly enough to, to kind of keep around at a high price. So makes a whole lot of sense. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. We're going to be back with you, though, at least every other week. Um, through the draft, but we'll be back for free agency. And if any big news comes down, we'll be here as well. And hopefully next time we're with you, Marissa will be back from her honeymoon because I'm struggling. I'm struggling, but I got through it. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do it right now. One of our best deals of the year, $1 a month for six months gets you full access to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. That's all Connor's stuff. That's all Dane Brugler's draft stuff. That's all the other sports, all the other leagues. Everything for just $1 a month for the next six months. Theathletic.com slash can't wait. Connor, I got through it. Thanks for hanging in there. Absolutely.